think what's missed in all this is the ability to have that uh, intelligent conversation with someone at the drop of a hat to be able to just say, what do you think about this? You know, and yes, we have Zoom meetings. Yes, we speak all the time, but it's planned. You're on it. You've got an agenda. And you really do miss that. Do you fancy a cup of tea? Yeah, come on, let's go for a walk and go, go get a coffee or a cup of tea or, or whatever. Or bumping into someone in town and them going, oh, actually, I need, to, need you to help a friend of mine. Can you just give them a call? Because all that's kind of just what we've missed out on. And I'm itching to get back, but there is no point until everyone's ready. makes an industry-leading lawyer choose family in the first place? Where do they see the legal profession heading? And what advice do they have for aspiring family lawyers? My name is Dwayne Cormell, founder of legal recruitment consultancy Realm Recruit and LegalJobCoach.com. And I'm Paula Pawlowska, a specialist recruiter of family and childcare lawyers. In this series of podcasts, we'll be chatting with prominent family lawyers about current trends, memorable clients, their lives away from work and all things family law. This is Refreshing Chats with Family Lawyers. Episode 9 features Chris Longbottom, National Head of Family at Clark Wilmot. Chris told us about what attracted him to setting up a family team for Clark Wilmot in Manchester, his transition to National Head, and his love of American comics. So as you'll know, the first question we ask everybody is always the same. We'd like to know if you could act one new refreshing law what would it be i listened to a couple of these and you tend to have had quite serious answers i think on your first one you had a conversation about whether or not you'd give a a silly answer or a or a real answer and so mine's going to be a real answer which is to uh bring a law in to stop people waving at the end of zooms when they're finished (laughs) 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 And, and linking it to a more serious thing is, you know, I, I'm a big believer of and trying to instill in juniors, you can pick up the phone and speak to people, you know. <laughs> so, you know, th- there's a tint of that with that answer in that, you know, and no, no disrespect to Nick and our accounts team. I don't think there's any need for me and Nick to have a Zoom, which could easily have taken place on a on a telephone call. And so, sometimes when you, you, sit, you sit with a team and you got defrustrated on a matter, uh, because of correspondence going between firms. And you go, well, have you just picked up the phone and spoken to them? Because do you not think just having a conversation about something might actually beat a letter? You might actually be able to converse in a way that that nails what you're trying to achieve. So pick up the phone. And I think that's the, the theme um, of lockdown for me. We don't need to always have Zoom calls. We can just pick up the phone. That's a sentiment that I will definitely applaud. <laughs> Uh, as, as Paula will well know, for God knows how long now, I've been banging on at everybody, even before lockdown. Pick up the phone. You, you don't need to hide behind a keyboard and write emails. Correct. So yeah, yeah I confirm. <laughs> yeah, I do do that a lot. That's a, that's, that's a good solid answer. I'm, I'm glad you've gone for uh, something slightly different to those that we've had thus far. <laughs> good. I think I've already congratulated you for becoming the national team manager. For, yes, thank you. Uh, the family department for Clark Wilmot. So, how is it? How are you finding managing such a big team? Uh, it's yeah, it's really, really you know, it's challenging. It's uh, a lot of time. It's a lot to sort out, but it's uh, it's really exciting and it's a challenge that I think people would 
in my position love to take. So it was one of those conversations where, you know, it was just a, probably a natural time to look at to look at changes in the team. And I've been pushing certain ideas on BD, on digital formats, on structures and things. And I think everyone just kind of came to the natural decision that that, that was probably the right step to take. The way that we structure it at Clark Wilmot isn't, so I'm team leader, but what all that means is everything funnels through me, isn't me funneling to others as such. So, you know, we have every two or three weeks, we've got one this week, we have a uh, video catch up, we have an agenda. It's very much conversation about what works for best for people, you know, different things go on the agenda, people put what they want to go on. And it funnels through me. It's the it's the leadership more than uh, anything else. So yeah, it's going really really well. Thank you. I'm right in thinking that actually you've not been with Clark Wilmot in the grand scheme of things all that long. Am I right in thinking you, you joined them in no, 2018 uh, to set up a Manchester team? Yeah, a couple of years. So and Manchester in that time itself has massively grown. I think when uh, Leah and I joined. In 2018, so it was around Christmas time, um, we were in an older office building and there was around 16 people. I think we were number 17 and 18. Um, And then we moved to Spring Gardens and we've got about 62 bums on seats now in that that space of time. So uh, Manchester went through that, that big expansion and, you know, and we have, I think, I hate singing my own praises and what I bring to the table. But one of the things that I think I did, and I think Paula and I had this conversation, when I, when I joined Clark Wilmot, Paula met me for a coffee and said, so what are your plans for the team? How can we help you? And things like that, which was, was a great thing to do. And I said the same to her at the time. I think Clark Wilmot is one of those firms where actually we've been around doing family law for about a hundred and odd years uh, 120 years. Um, yes, it originates in the Midlands, and we've got a huge team of people in Bristol and Taunton. Um, so you've, we've got that heritage of the kind of high-end, high-complex farming, agricultural divorce cases in that area. And then we've got all these other offices that Clark Wilmot have that have the opportunity of a leaning on that backbone and that heritage, but then having your own wings to to build what you need in that individual office. So, you know, yes, it was a new thing in Manchester, but when you when you really scrape the surface of what Clark Wilmot is, we are a long-standing private capital, private client firm um, that stood there for 120-odd years. You know, if you, generally, if you're a, a farmer in Bristol or Taunton, we've probably been your solicitors for multi-generations. Was that what attracted you to, yes. the, to the firm because I must say when you put it like that all that heritage coupled with the fact that actually Manchester was still something of a blank canvas that must have been quite an exciting project to take on yeah absolutely yeah and that is what what attracted was not only the back so I've been at firms that you know were great opportunities and will work well for people and are play, great places to work but what stood Clark Wilmot apart a little was that yes there was that black canvas but they understood family law they understood how it worked they understood what you needed they said that you know we we have a bd team here 
an accounts team here who know and have done family work for a hundred and odd years. We, we understand how the private individual works. We understand how our sports team, our corporate team, our property team interacts with that family team. So it's, it's not only an opportunity of starting something new in Manchester, but something that has already been done in Bristol, Taunton, and other other areas already. So you know there is a blueprint. You can kind of you can put your own fingerprint over that blueprint, but it's there if you need it. There are people you can rely on. So not to take the credit away from you, then Chris, but um, having only started the <laughs> Manchester team a couple of years back, you're already um, recognised by Legal Five Hundred. Is that? because of that blueprint in part, just as much as because of sort of what you've done to get that team off the ground? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the family team in Bristol and Taunton in particular are very well-known, very well-respected. You know, we've done big work. We've done big reported work. Um, so, so when you stick in your applications for things like that, yes, the name carries weight. But I'd like to think, you know, it's not just, you know, th- those applications <laughs> are uh, sometimes daunting is not the right word it's a pain yes it's nice doing the work and you do the work you have your rapport with the client the client gives you great feedback but then to kind of remember to log it for your legal 500 in chambers it's not something that i think many family lawyers are set up to automatically go you know i have to shine that badge and stick it on an application uh, when i get it in so many months time so you know, when it comes around to christmas and we need to start compiling these you go right okay I need to put some time aside to kind of go back over the last 12 months which in one respect is quite nice really to go back in and think oh yeah what a great piece of work that was and let's stick that in but you know what I'd like to think as well about the last two years of Cloud Wilmot is it's not just we yes we started a team but we we've added real quality work to the table as well The, the, the kind of work that we do now and the kind of clients that we act for are really really good chunky pieces of work really interesting pieces of work and it helps um when your your opposition are other other law firms in manchester as well who you know you and i well know and you know we all get on socially and then we have a case against each other and you know sometimes you you sigh a bit of a relief that you know you've got someone who's sensible who knows what they're doing on the other side that you can like i say hopping back to the start pick up the phone and have a conversation with and you know that if they're fighting the corner you tend to know that they're fighting the corner for something that's right and vice versa supporters of this podcast round recruit arima affiliates ima is about identifying modifying and adapting your communication style in order to better connect with others on their wavelength it's a gateway you move through in order to understand what a person wants needs and expects and how they manage their emotions. Whilst more than just another online questionnaire, the IMA questionnaire is the starting point. Within just two minutes, you can gain valuable insight about yourself and be introduced to a simple yet powerful way of thinking about the way we connect with others. Visit roundrecruit-ima.com to take the questionnaire now. That's roundrecruit-ima.com. You said that it's quite nice to reflect back after December and all the lovely feedback you get from clients. So can you tell me about a client that touched your heart the most or changed your perspective on family law? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple. There's one in particular who we picked up a a children's matter, which we picked up off another firm. So he was looking at changing firms. And yes, you, you say the right things, you get the piece of work and then you need to deliver on it. And I remember rocking up to court to kick this case up a gear, which is what it really needed. It needed a fresh pair of boots, not eyes, to kind of kick it into gear. Uh, and we did that. And it was the biggest piece of advocacy I think I've done in that to introduce the case of all the joiners, of everyone that was in the room, took almost two hours to kind of highlight who everyone was, where everything had moved on from the last hearing, and what we were needing to resolve today. And that case, and it's it's still in disbelief when you think about it, it was listed for a 19-day hearing for private children's proceedings, which I've never, ever, ever, ever come across a private hearing listed for 19 days across a month. And it did, and it went ahead. And then it, it made the national news, did the case, for for reasons that I probably won't mention on here, but it made the national news. And without being able to be public about it, you became embroiled in what was going on publicly then, as well as what you knew about the case. And when these kids were eventually recovered and found and returned to my client, it was my client who phoned me at seven o'clock in the morning as I was driving into Manchester City Centre and said, we've got the kids. And I started crying. You know, I I broke down and he went, and I remember the client gave gave me three minutes and went, yeah, I just did that. (laughs) And and it it was one of them where you were just like, you, you hadn't slept for two weeks um, whilst this case was going on, and it meant a lot that one to do that case. Um, but even recently, we we had a case which was in no way a big money case at all. But it was one of those difficult cases where we acted for wife in a you know a one house, one business, one income, one pension situation type of case where. Every penny, every pound meant a lot on that matter. And I don't think I've ever had a client as appreciative of the work that you were doing for her, ever. You know, and, you know, and I've come from a background of, and I'm quite, you know, I'm quite pleased to have come from a background that I have in terms of what I've done for family law. Of I came from a small general high street practice in, in Yorkshire uh, where I was trained, where I was kind of your solicitor, you know, so I, uh, yes, we, we did your family work, but then we, yeah, I was involved in selling and buying your house and helping to write your will on your case. And that, that founded my training. And yes, I was called an article clerk. You know, it wasn't that long ago, but that's what the firm was like. Uh, through to doing legal aid work. And, you know, I do, I do think that doing that legal aid work really, really stood me in good, in good stead for, for complex matters now, because you understand what it means for people to to act on those kind of cases. Whilst you're in a state of reflection, and we're harking back to when you first started out, could you shine a light on why it was that you chose family law in the first place? So I think, and I think this has kind of been touched on in some of your previous podcasts as well, really. So when I was a trainee back in Yorkshire, 
it, like I say, it was a it really was a general high street practice uh, in in a small town in Yorkshire. So you, you you knew everyone in the town anyway, and I think you quickly realise whether you want to be a litigious or a non-litigious lawyer. Um, so do you want to be the kind of lawyer that sits at your desk and looks at paperwork and drafts and never sees a client because you're not that kind of person that likes the interaction of clients or do you feed off that interaction of clients do you do you like that do you do, do you like to see the work that you're doing in practice in practice so I, I like the idea of something someone coming to me and saying i have a problem and you can solve it and me going yeah i can i can solve it and here's what what we do about it so i think i was just that kind of person and then out of circumstance the high street practice that I was at effectively needed someone to cover one of the family partners who uh, unfortunately went on long-term sick so it was effectively we need you here you go here's a lot of work took you in the deep end and it, it, you know I always I always giggle when uh, when I've been at big firms and they've had trainees do weird and wonderful things to introduce themselves at the beginning of their their training contracts and uh, you know I've seen I've seen them pushing trolleys around a fruit uh, saying we're raising money for the for our charity to uh, and and saying a lot at the same time, which is great, you know, great in terms of icebreakers and introductions. But how, how times have changed. I remember about my first day as a trainee. Now I had been at the high street practice for for uh, work experience for about three years nonstop. But my first day as a trainee as a trainee, I was in court on my own doing advocacy down the road. <laughs> you know, Just the, a little daunting. Yeah, the court was about three doors down from where we were. And the managing partner, who was the head of family, was sat behind me. But it was me doing the advocacy. And I was more worried about him sat behind me than I was the judge sat in front of me. And he, he made it clear he was going to watch how I performed. So, right, okay, great. You know, come on, come on to court at 10 o'clock. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it was... Baptism of fire, chucked in the deep end, whatever you want to use. But it, it, it again, give me great standing to understand such a mixed bag of work did that an original um, training contract. And then, you know, it, yes, a mix of circumstances, a mix of the kind of person I am, I fell into family law and, and liked it. If there's somebody listening to this that's graduated with a law degree or is even at paralegal level and is perhaps contemplating a career in family law or on the contrary they're not sure what practice area they want to go into could you just illuminate what what family law is like day to day because you've talked on lots of interaction with clients what are the other kind of key things that you would say to somebody in that position well firstly i, I tend to say to people so when people come for work experience for instance and they seem to turn up and say I want to be a family lawyer or I want to be an IP lawyer or whatever they, they want to do before they've even gone to university to do their degree. I try and encourage them to keep options open as long as possible because you may find that you are that kind of person that wants to sit at a desk and do paperwork. So what's the point in choosing to be a family lawyer? Because it, it really won't probably work that well. I, I say that with a little bit of hesitation because every firm needs those amazingly good family lawyers who like to sit and churn work out and sit at the desks and do bits. And we're not all the same. And that's what makes firms work and teams work. But I think, 
as a family lawyer, you need to be prepared or expected if you're, if you're an up-and-coming want to get into family law, you need to expect interaction with clients, as we've said, but also numbers. You know, a lot of people don't think that family law and when you're at university and you're expected to do accounts, well, the reason is because you're going to get a lot of numbers chucked at you. So, you know, being able to prepare spreadsheets with numbers on them and not be scared by them, being able to to review cases and and case law and and be able to apply that to to what you're doing now so it's the basic skills that you learn at university keep your options open for as long as possible and if you really want to do family you will realize that as you experience the different bits and pieces the family part of the law degree was awful it was terrible it was it was so uninteresting if I'd have gone on what I thought was great and I'd have been paid most to do and I'd have done corporate, you know, because I, I actually did, I started doing an accountancy degree. Numbers was my thing. I, I love numbers. So you, you took some kind of corporate work at me or something like that, that. Fine. You know, I can crack on with it and found it quite enjoyable. But for my sin, I can think of anything worse than sitting at my desk and not seeing anyone day to day. So corporate life was probably never going to be for me. And yeah, I know that, you know, the, the world's changed and, you know, corporate lawyers need to get out and BD and meet clients and speak to people as well. But it's different and it's all changed now because of the world that we live in today. And there's different ways of interacting with people and different ways of getting messages across. And this is why you're doing what you're doing as well. Refreshing Chats with Family Lawyers is supported by LegalJobCoach.com. With traditional legal career advice at university and law school often having an overemphasis on corporate and commercial law, as well as the city and magic circle firms, LegalJobCoach.com tries to tell the other side of the story. It offers insight into what's on offer on the high street, with specialist boutiques, and at both regional and national firms. It's coaching on everything from CVs to interviews, advice on where to look for a job and where not to. It's a refreshing approach to legal career coaching. Visit LegalJobCoach.com for more information. You said that corporate law would be something that you would maybe have considered. But if you weren't a lawyer, who would you be, Chris? <laughs> if I weren't a lawyer, I always think about this. If I weren't a lawyer, well, I, you know, if I won the lottery, I think it might be a good, a good way of thinking about it. <laughs> I'd, I, I've always had this dream of, of having a comic shop. I don't know if you know this about me. I collect old American comics. I have thousands of them. There, there is about 6,000 there, that, which is, you know, how, what I'm perched on to, to speak to you. But what I love about comic book, well, there's two things. I'm going to get all deep and meaningful again. It's about something that's probably quite silly. <laughs> I collect all, uh, X-Men comics because of the story of racism that's apparent within them. So if you want to get really deep and meaningful, the, the whole idea of teenagers who are different, who can be any race, colour, creed, and be hate and feared and become superheroes and that whole story i find amazingly fascinating and you know a piece of pop culture that in years to come by will be looked back on hopefully with with great fondness but also i credit my son's reading ability he's read every book in the library twice over with getting him to look at spider-man uh, and x-men comics and letting him hold a piece of paper and not be scared by it and flick through it and then realize well, there's a story here and i can flick through the story and follow it with the pictures and then i want to read it i want to want to see what it is so he was quite he was quite happy to sit in his room with a comic book in his hand and flick through it and read it uh and now like i say he's 
10 and will read anything anything that he can get his hands on and love it. So, yeah, it's a bit of a silly answer. That's what I do. But I think there's a real reason behind it because to get people engaging with books again and reading. Do you have a favourite comic book hero? I mean, I'm assuming you will do. Like I say, I just I, I like the X Men because because of what they stand for and and the, the background and the story about it. And you know, and you guys know Steve Kunzwitz, don't you, as well? Yeah. And you know, Steve's massively into his comic books, and we uh, we regularly have chats about them and everything. And he, he loves DC more. And the conversation is, well, you know, I'm not a big DC fan, but I do like the idea of Superman being this this you know, Superman isn't Clark Kent. It's the wrong way around, really, for superheroes. Superheroes have their secret identity that they hide, whereas Superman is Superman, and his secret identity is this snivelling, weak human that he, <laughs> he, he takes on to, to blend in with everyone else. So um, I quite like that idea. But no, it, superheroes, it, it's weird because everyone goes, oh, you're a bit of a geek. I am, but I, I really delve into... Like I say, that, that that background of what the books actually meant. X-Men, are, in the 60s when it started, it got cancelled because they thought the, the reading figures were low. And it got cancelled at the wrong time when actually the, it was the most popular comic book. And then in the 70s, they restarted X-Men with, with giant-size X-Men, where they, I'm looking at it now. And the super, superheroes that were in it in the 70s was the first black female superhero in Stone, um, a Russian, not, you know, Cold War time. There was a Russian. There was a German Catholic priest in Nightcrawler. There was a, a Irishman, a Canadian, a Japanese man, all in an American teen comic book. You know, and, and really when you think about the boundaries that it was breaking in America in the 70s, and and I have it on my shelf, and it's 2020, and I've got them all. You know, it's it it's some feat to uh, to be able to look back and 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 be able to read that story that that it actually is about what it meant in America at that time. Going back to your answer though, that if you weren't a family lawyer, you'd own a comic book shop. <laughs> Did you deliberately put that bit in about if I won the lottery? so that you wouldn't need to make money by owning the shop? Because I, I always think about people that collect things. Surely it must be really difficult for them to have a shop that sells that thing because they don't want to part with any of it. Uh, yeah, that's deliberately why I said win the lottery. Because it's all properly planned out, you know, where we have... Take your this, word for it, I really do. Yeah, it really, really is properly planned out where kids' parties, little cinema, the whole lot is catered for in the shop. But yeah, it, maybe, but... I think the joy of, you know, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, you know, Duncan's toy chest, and yeah. he meets Duncan, and Duncan's just happy to work in his shop and hand things out, and he gives him the turtle doves, and he's yeah. happy to sell him. The, I'd love to be Duncan. <laughs> <in the corner. laughs> you know, <laughs> you know that, that, that's the kind of, that would be the dream. So if you want a more realistic answer of what I would be if I wasn't a fan of the lawyer, I don't know, because, you know, I... I, I Yes, I fell into it at a time, but obviously I wanted to do it because I like to help people who have a problem. So I can't really now, X years on, picture me doing anything else. I think with my maths background, and I, I like art because of comic books as well. So 
I think I was supposed to be an architect or something similar to that. But again, I couldn't picture myself sat in a room drawing nonstop for hours and things like that and doing other, doing other people's projects and passing it on to someone. I, I think I'm the project man. I, I, you give me the problem and I and my team will help sort it out. So, But yes, I deliberately said win the lottery because I think you need a huge bag of money to be able to buy stock and everything. <laughs> I'm interested. Does every family member of yours have a favourite superhero? Is this uh, yeah, a thing yes, you do they as a do. Family? Yeah, they do. So I so pre-lockdown actually, but it got finished in lockdown. Is the, the room that I'm working now is my comic room uh, slash reading room. So we've got a little reading couch and everything. But it, it was more, you know, it's more for for the kids to kind of if you want. There's, you know, have a, a room with no TV in and come sit in and read. All the comic books are here and everything. And it was done with an eye on my son who, my son has bump beds and he has a book in his bump bed. You know, in the uh, runs, he has a book in the living room. He's got a book in the lounge. He's got a book in the car. He's got a book in his mum's car because he will literally pick up multiple books and keep reading them um, nonstop. Uh, so it was bought really with him in mind. And the person who used it more, most is my daughter. She's absolutely loved it and got in it and wants her own little shelf of comic books and everything. And so her, her superhero now is Spider-Gwen. I don't know if you saw the animated Spider-Film with Spider-Gwen in it. So she's proper proper Spider-Gwen fan now and wants every comic book that's got Spider-Gwen on the front of it, which is great. But, you know, I, I know the comic shops really well in Manchester. For years, I've known them. And I don't, I don't buy new ones anymore. I, I, I tend to just buy the older older ones from the 60s and everything. But when she went in and told them all about her favourite superhero, Spider-Gwen, one of the girls that works in the shop says, well, I've got a spare copy of her first appearance and, and give it to, to my daughter. You know, and she doesn't realise that's about a £100 comic. You know. That's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's lovely, isn't it, that they did that. So, um, yes, yeah, so, so she's got that on her shelf. With a other Spiderwing comics, I love that you share a hobby. It's really great. Yeah, it's lovely. She sounds like she did what Duncan did in Home Alone too. <laughs> in what way? Here's, here's well, here's some here's something for free. I, I, I'm not here to make money. She, All right, yeah, <laughs> she, yeah, I mean, yeah. She's not there to make money if she's dishing out hundred pound no, comics for free. <laughs> true. No, no. Uh, yeah, it, she and um, she is like that. One of the girls in the. Uh, in the comic book store, she's again. She's got that interest. It's my spec. It's downstairs, and I don't use it. Or look at it, and I don't really want to have to sell it on eBay. So she can have it if she's going to get a kick out of it. But you know what? The comic community is like that. I've I've given stuff away over the years to to people who have collected a lot lot longer than me. Um, the guy that sorted me out with some of my early stuff, I gave him a lot of comics that I thought, well, I don't want these, and given to him, and he was absolutely ecstatic about it so yeah there is a there is a little bit of a knit community there as well refreshing chats with family lawyers is supported by realm recruit realm was founded in 2015 to offer something different in response to the scattergun approach of some recruiters realm believes in treating lawyers like people and not candidates and law firms like valued partners not just transactional customers Each of Realm's recruitment consultants are ultra-specialists, focusing on one legal practice area. Their refreshingly niche approach gives them the perfect platform to help lawyers develop their careers and to assist law firms grow sustainably. 
Whether you're a hiring manager looking for a talented legal personnel or a lawyer looking for a new exciting challenge, Realm are ready to help you. Visit realmrecruit.com for more information. Let's change the topic and talk about the joy that was lockdown or is <laughs> lockdown, depending on where you live. <laughs> Let's look at it from more of a um, light-hearted perspective. What were you doing during lockdown to sort of past the time? I presume reading a lot of comics, but was there any TV that you indulged in? Genuinely, I've never been as busy in work. Now, coupled with, yeah, A, busy because of work that came in at the time you know in one of the weeks we got I think it was 13 new clients in one week um during lockdown which was just ridiculous so yeah I've been working um I haven't really had time for anything else but and coupled with the new role of team leader it's uh, it's been it's been challenging if I'm going to be completely honest it's been really really tough and then having the kids at home has been even tougher and it's been tough on them as well but we've managed to get it to get it done we've all managed to work and do what we need to do and then you know and this is another tip perhaps for people who are young who younger who are looking to get into law and something that I say to to trainees and to, to paralegals is look I've always tried to live my life where I go to work and work hard and then try and leave on time. Um, yes, there will be occasions where we all need to work late and there'll be occasions where you've got a BD event on, but you need an off switch. You need to be able to turn off and go home. And I think that's been the most difficult thing during lockdown. Well, for, for me is I'm now working in the environment that I built to be my rest room has now turned into my office. I think that's been the bit that's been difficult and, and being able to switch off between, you know, now I can, I don't I don't do this, but now I can roll out of bed and roll into my office and log on and work and not move until tea time and then and then kind of log off and, and I could just carry on if if I wanted to, but that's not going to be healthy for anyone. So what we've done is we've tried to get the kids to continue with sports as much as they've been on and been possible, which hasn't been possible all the time, but has now kicked back in. But we've picked new walks every week and repeated it all week so we've done a walk we picked a week uh, a walk for a week walked it between six and seven and come home for tea uh, just with the kids and we've done longer ones at weekend so you know and that's been our instead of traveling it's weird because i hate commuting and i hate what's been said about commuting this week about it being part of your life no it isn't i didn't get into law for the commute to work um (laughs) But what the commute did, especially on the way home, was that barrier between office and home. And and without you even realising it, getting in the car and turning the radio on and changing your mindset from being in the office to being dad and being at home was what was needed and it has been lacking. So, yeah, I think that walk on an evening has been the thing that's really helped. And how amazing was the weather, especially at the start of lockdown, how lucky were we to have the weather that we did so yeah I, th- I think it has been tough and part of my role has been making sure that everyone else has been coping with it as well are you going back to the office at all just yet um so we ha- i mean i have on occasions when we've had a physical need to go in and get something or prepping for bigger final hearings that we've had but one of our final hearings which was a few days 
we actually booked a hotel with council. We booked a conference suite. So we had the one screen and we were all socially distant on a table, but we, all, we were all using one laptop and one screen to do it, which, which made sense. Uh, and obviously we, got, we, we went into the office to prep for that. In terms of going in the office and sitting and working, no. What I kind of said to my immediate team was, well, until we know what's going on with the children, probably it's not right to even think about routines for when we can all kind of come back in the office and make sure that we're all distant or, you know, whatever we need to do at any given point during all this. So let's not even think about it until back to school time. And now the management at Clyde Walmart have been amazing in the sense that every week we've had on a Friday, a Friday update. Effectively, this is how the firm's coping. This is what we're doing. This is what we've done in terms of furlough. These are who we've brought back. You know, this is where we're up to in terms of offices, because each office is different. I think you said between Bristol and Taunton, there's about 400, 450 staff, and they're in a building that they've been in for a number of years it's huge, it's on multiple floors, it's generally us that's in the building, whereas Manchester, you know, we are in a shared building with different offices, everyone's got to use the lift. Getting into Manchester has been part of the problem to think about was then staff using public transport to get in and out of the centre and do they feel comfortable doing that? So it's, you know, it's just been one of the, one of the positives is and Paula knows that I do this with my team. Monday morning, my team and I go for breakfast. We have breakfast together. We have, you know, 20 minutes of how was your weekend? Everything okay at home? How are you? And then really it's my PA that leads it and says, this is what's important to do this week. Or is there something that you need me to get on with? Or how do I map my days out in your week? And that's kind of what we've done talking to them about you know lockdown you tell me is it working for you is it not working for you rather than me going this is what we're going to do and it not work and it'd be a problem so I think that that two-way communication is something that's been a positive that's come out of this for a lot of people there's a lot of sense in I think both of those answers to the last two questions there in that why force something upon people so long as yeah they're getting their work done, they're being productive. Your, your point as well about commuting, I couldn't agree with you more. Maybe that's because I've got a long commute like you have, but it's not a part of my day that I particularly relish. No, no. You know, and, yeah, sometimes getting in the car and sticking a, sticking a track on and is great, but doing it every day into the Manchester City Centre was not why I decided to work in Manchester City Centre. But... I'd love to be back in the office. You know, I think what's missed in all this is the ability to have that uh, intelligent conversation with someone at, at, at the drop of a hat, to be able to just say, what do you think about this? You know, and yes, we have Zoom meetings. Yes, we speak all the time, but it's planned. You're on it. You've got an agenda. You talk through your agenda and you really do miss that. Do you fancy a cup of tea? Yeah, come on, let's go for a walk and go, go get a coffee or a cup of tea or or whatever, or bumping into someone in town and them going, oh, actually, I need to, need you to help a friend of mine. Can you just give them a call? Because all that's kind of just what we've missed out on. And I'm itching to get back, but there is no point until everyone's ready. So to finish off, my favourite question is, what's your favourite refreshment, Chris? 
my favourite refreshment. Oh, <laughs> well, linking to lockdown, I think everyone's favourite refreshment has been something with alcohol in it, which perhaps <laughs> it shouldn't have been. But as much as I, w- I would hate giving you an alcohol answer, my favourite drink's whiskey. What type of whiskey? Any type. Of, well, that, so I have different whiskies for different time of the year. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if it's winter and it's cold, I love a stinky Lafroy to get in the bath with. If it's summer, something smoother, Macallan, something. But my house whiskey, I said this on, on Twitter recently, my, the, the whiskey that I will always have, it, the kids got me a... a, a some cut glass whiskey glasses for Christmas. So I always have a, a bottle with on the table with them. And um, the 15-year-old Glenfiddich that you can pick up in any supermarket, which is a Solera, so it's a sherry rum cask, is amazing. It's so amazing. It's it, it tastes like Christmas. You like Christmas pudding, you will like that whiskey. So those people who love peaty whiskeys that have got a bit of a bite to them, like it. Those people who like smoother whiskeys like it it really is a a a one for all whiskey so if you're not a big whiskey drinker try it you might you might go oh actually that's quite nice and then you can take it from there i think that's what lots of people have done solid answer i don't i don't think there's (laughs) any shame as well with picking an alcoholic drink (laughs) for that i think almost without exception everybody that we've asked that question to um has definitely definitely picked an alcoholic drink some (laughs) of them maybe have complimented it with a non-alcoholic but um yeah, I think coming out yeah, of lockdown. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you know what I've discovered? What my wife discovered as well. And when I had a catch up with my team and we had a walk, she ordered some for us. There's a company, I can't remember what they're called now, Neo or something like that. And they um, do cocktail pouches. So it's deliver, you get them delivered, you know, they're, they're in one of these post box size boxes and they come in little pouches and they're pre made and they're. they're best made cocktails i've ever ever had and you can choose what kind of cocktail you want so if you like gin cocktails you can choose gin ones if you like whiskey cocktails they'll do a whiskey one uh, and you can buy them in different sizes and they are absolutely incredible sounds amazing i'd love to try it so i might email I'll, you to ask yeah the i'll send you the detail if you refer, refer a friend i think you get money off so there you go Ooh. okay <laughs> let's do that <laughs> 